So we spoke about the idea of truth being associated with Yaakov, the middle bolt which goes from, the, from end to end, from the highest to the lowest. Okay, that's where we left off. Um, so we are at the next sentence. And in each gradation. You have a place? No. Why not? Yes. And in each gradation and plane, it fixes its bolt to the most central point, which is the point and quality of its attribute of truth. So where does this middle bolt, where does this bolt of truth go? It goes in, the, in every level, from the highest to the lowest, but where does it go? In the most central point, because that point, the centermost point of everything, is that point's attribute of truth. Okay. Does that make any sense to anybody? Absolutely. Well, it means being a central bolt. Yeah, what do you mean the central? Yeah, I mean, the idea of truth going all the way up to all the way to the bow we discussed, right? But the idea that the truth goes in every place to the center point. I'm just imagining a stack of circles and the truth being the line going through the road. That's great. The, the, the Kabbalists that like to draw pictures would congratulate you. <laughs> Your picture has perfectly Thank characterized you. the idea. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> What does your symbolic representation represent? Truth is the point where everything meets. Center of the circle, like where everything's measured from. That's nice. I like that. <laughs> I brought a book. Okay. This is one of many books of commentary on Tanya. Unfortunately, it's not the whole thing. It's only chapters 1 through 26. This was written by a chassid um, of the second and third Chabad Rebbes. So, he was, um, so he studied Tanya from people who personally knew the Alter Rebbe. His name is Yaakov Mekaidan. He also wrote a, a, a book of Hasidic stories about the Alter Rebbe, the Mithra Rebbe, and the um, which I don't know if it's translated into English which the previous Rebbe gave the Rebbe as a gift because he says some, after you get married sometimes your head is not 100% in place to learn so it's a good idea to have some Hasidic stories to read for like the few days after the wedding. So it's been a custom <laughs> for Chabad men to get this book <laughs> and then put it on the shelf and never read it for some reason. But anyway. Um, so he, um, he has an explanation so I'm going to use his explanation because I think his explanation is the, the, um, I think the simplest to understand, and it is also, I think, the most easy to understand its relevance. And I'm not going to say this is the only explanation of this idea, but that's the one we're going to use. Okay? Let me explain. What the central point that the truth, it says the truth fixes itself in the central point, which is the point of quality, which is the point and quality of its attribute of truth. Okay. So we're just going to do a little substitution. So truth, right, just means revealing what? A shep. A shep. Okay. Either a shem is revealed or he is not. Can we agree that that, that, that you know, it's a, there's not, he's not partially revealed. Does that make sense? Okay. If it makes sense, explain why can't a shem partially be revealed? Because he, no he has no parts. 
I can reveal part of myself because I have different parts. So part is revealed and part is not revealed, right? I'm revealing to you my knowledge of Tanya, but I'm not revealing to you my favorite flavor of ice cream. Right? I can do that. I can even reveal part of my knowledge of Tanya, all of my knowledge of Tanya, right? Physically, I'm revealing to you the front of my face, not the back of my head, right? Good, right? To reveal part means there has to be, intrin- intrinsically, there has to be some kind of division. Yes? Why can't there be? Why can't? Why can't that be? Why? Why can't there be a Hashem? I'm I'm not I'm not allowing you to ask your question. I'm challenging you on the assumption of the question. Okay, so I don't want to go into the world of Toe other than to say that that is a common, although inaccurate, description of what went wrong in Toe. The real problem has to do with the nature of the vessels. There is a, an idea that the quality of the light is determined by the quality of the vessels. So, for lack of words, unstable vessels draw out unstable light. And you can understand what happens when two unstable entities interact with each other. It is not exactly... Um, that's right. Okay? I'm not going to go more into that. But the, the, the idea that simply there was too much light and the vessel shattered, while is a accurate description, it is not really getting at really what's going on there. Okay. Um, okay. So we're going to use, as a stand-in for godliness, we're going to use the example of light. Um, this is a common metaphor that's used. We're going to use that metaphor, right? So here's the thing. Either there is light or there is not. Yeah? Is there any kind of in-between between light and not light? Okay, well, there's, so there's like dim, but... We're going to get to the notion of dim. But before we get to the notion of dim, let's just think very quickly. Like, either there is light or there isn't light. Right? You can't like, have like, well, there's half light. That makes no sense. Yes? Right. It's like the, 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 the famous uh, question that you ask people when you're in like, middle school. If one man takes one hour to dig a hole, how much can one man dig in half an hour? And the unthinking you know, sixth grader says half a hole. Then you ask, well, what's a half a hole? Mm-hmm. Right? You can't have half a hole, right? Okay, so now... To make this simpler, we're going we're gonna to work totally in the analogy of light and the physical world to try and get a bearing of the ideas. And then once that's clear, then we'll go back to talking about spirituality, okay? So let's imagine that we have the sun and the sun is shining light, okay? And you have a building. Is there light in the building? There's windows. It's a very simple question. If there are windows, there will be light in the building. If there aren't, there won't. Yeah? Okay. Now, for purposes of our analogy, we're going to really oversimplify things. Okay? Um, what's a window? A window is a place where there is no wall. Yeah? So where there is no wall, there is light. Where there is wall, 
there's no light. Simple enough? That's a strict binary. Where there is a wall, there is no light. Where there is light, there is no wall. Good? Okay. That's the boundary of the building. Inside the building, right, we can now ask a question, which is, how much light is in the, is in the building? Right? So on the wall, I have a simple binary question, which is, where there's wall, there is no light. Where there's light, there is no wall, right? But once I move past the wall and talk about the interior of the building, I ask a new question, which is how much light is in the room? And what does that depend on? Right. It depends on how big the windows are, right? So if I have smaller windows, I have less light. But now, is the light, I have to, I have to like add some words to make this, is the light not as much light as the light that, it, it's not, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's a lesser quality of light, it's not as much what light is than, when a, room, or than a building that has bigger windows? Or is it just the light is the same light, but there's just less of it? Why is there less of it? Because, the, 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 because there's now this new phenomena of how the light is distributed over the space, and that's a function of, on the plus side, the bigger the windows, the more light, and on the downside, the bigger the space, the more light you need. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Does anyone have any questions about this idea? Now, so what is so what is dimness then? If I have a room, it's huge, it's the size of a stadium, and it's completely sealed off with nothing other than a tiny crack. At the place of that crack, is it dim? No. No. It's completely Right, so right, that, that, there, there's light, right? And, and the place right next to the crack, right, where's wall, there's no light at all, right? No difference then. And if I make the window much, much bigger, the place where the crack was doesn't become any more illuminated than it was before, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, right? So where does dimness come in? Like when it's distributed to a more larger space. Right, so dim, right. dimness is the relationship between the, cr- the, the window and the space. The smaller the window and the bigger the space, the dimmer it will be. The bigger the window and the smaller the space, the brighter it will be. But that's all once we're talking about once you're in the building. But at the, at the actual edge of the building, the, the wall, right? At that spot, at each point, it's either illuminated or it's not. Good? Okay. So now, the sun is going to represent Hashem. Good? The interior of the building is going to represent the created entity. Okay? What is the perimeter of the building represent? It's 
So I have Hashem, right? Hashem is like the sun. And so if there's just Hashem, then the light just shines. Hashem's truth is evident and revealed, right? If there's just, just the sun and there's no buildings, then everywhere you look, it's fully illuminated, it's fully bright. Okay. The interior of the building, right? We now are talking about how the light relates to the space that it's in, right? Just like when we talk about a creation, there's a question of how much of a, in what sense is Hashem's presence felt within the reality of the created entity. I'm going to set those parts aside. I want to focus specifically on the perimeter of the building, right? The wall and windows. What does that represent? That like the vessels are filters? That's one, one thing, which is the, the window is bittel. I'm going to talk about what bittel is. And the wall is yeshus. So we have this called, something called yeshus and we have something called bittel. Okay? These are these two things we need to know what they are. Do we have markers? It's a little bit easier if I draw this, I think. This represents something that is called Yeshus. This space represents something that's called Bittu. And over here, that is space nothing okay so then what is the state of our creation godless and godless. and well now since god is real and something that's totally godless is therefore unreal therefore that creation is not actually created created in order for anything to be created what does there need to be there needs to be a little bit of like just like the, the idea of the created being is that there's actually some like light in the room. So if there's some little bit of light in the room, what does that mean? And how did that light get into the room? There's some bitl. There's some bitl. Okay. 
On the other hand, what is it that defines the room? Is it, is, what defines the room? Is it the walls or the windows? Okay, so there's these two qualities, and I haven't described what they are, yeshus and bittel. What defines the creation as, a, as, what it, as the kind of thing that it is? Is it yeshus or it's bittel? What defines the room is the walls, right? That makes the room a room. But what makes it have any reality to it is the bittel, because it's Hashem who's real, and it's his truth coming into it that makes it real. So therefore, everything that exists is some kind of, is some kind of uh, blend of these two characteristics of Yeshus and Pittal. Good? Right? Any, any illuminated space is on the one hand, the defined space is because of the walls, and the fact that it's illuminated is because the windows allow the light in. Okay? So while... Each room can have a unique character in terms of the quality of how it's illuminated, how dim or bright it is. If you look at the perimeter, it's all black and white. It's either the opaque wall or the transparent window. Okay? Any questions? I know I haven't described what Yeshus and Bittal are, but any questions about the dynamic? Yeah. Not purpose. It makes it real. No, not purpose. Okay, so I'm going to use a biological metaphor for Bittal and Yeshus, okay? These two terms, which I'm not going to translate, by the way. You're just going to have to, like, because I don't believe in translating technical terms. Okay? There is a thing about cells. Cells die. Are you familiar with this idea? Okay, cells die. Given that cells die, how do organisms persist over time? Very good. Make sense? So you are, let's say, older than 30 days. That's a reasonable thing to assume, yes? Okay. Um, are all of your cells older than 30 days? No. For instance, the surface of your skin less than 30 days old. Much, much less than, yes. So it takes 30 days to get rid of the tan? No. Because cells don't just, it'd be nice if cells just made perfectly, you know, new fresh cells, but the way cells make new cells is what do they do? They, they basically copy themselves and before they die. And so if the cells have been changed in some way, those changes often persist. Okay. Make sense? I don't know. I'm not enough of a biologist <laughs> to know. It depends what it is. It depends what it depends. It depends what kind of some changes. Some changes. Different changes last different things. But change, you know, there's plenty of changes that can exist in a cell that when a right. cell copies itself, not just because of DNA issues, other issues also. Yeah. Fine. Okay. You've heard of a disease called cancer, yes? <laughs> what? Does cancer keep people alive? Longer, or does it make their lives shorter? What is cancer? It kills cells. It is not killing cells. It's it's producing. Let's not use the word in the definition. I mean, is it the cells? It's just cells. 
just doing the job. Cells are just making more cells. Just the way cells do. Like the, the in other words, cancer is really not is, is is on a certain level of looking at it is nothing any more different than the same thing that keeps you alive. What keeps a person alive over a span of time is the fact that the cells make more cells. What's cancer? Cells making more cells. So what's the difference? They're bad cells. What makes them bad? They're not supposed to be there. What does that supposed to mean? There's something wrong with them. Not What's wrong with them? That's an immune deficiency, an immune system problems. Autoimmune diseases is where the immune system attacks the body. It's a different idea. We could talk about that also as an analogy for Yeshus and Bithel too, but. Um, what is the purpose of a cell reproducing? To continue on? I don't know. Let's think about that for a second. Well, it's not for the purpose for the cell to continue on because the original cell is gonna die, right? So that's not what it's for. It's for the person. Okay, it's for the person to continue on. What's another way of looking at it? Another way of looking at it is so that that cell, even though the cell itself doesn't live on, but some version of that cell lives on. So because cells are a little bit hard to relate to, we're gonna to move to people. People have children. And what I'm gonna talk about now is entirely not like, Rep- meant to represent anything than be a muscle for cells, an analogy for cells, so don't like go too deep into this. Okay? What happens to society if the birth rate drops too low? It doesn't The society can't replenish itself and the society collapses. Okay? So who has an interest in maintaining a high, a, 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 a relatively high birth rate? The society, right? As a whole. Okay. Um, now, people have money. When they die, who gets their money? Children. Why do their children get their money? Okay. Now, what happens if we allow? unrestricted wealth acquisition and unrestricted inheritance to the wealth of a society over time. Get messy. No, it doesn't. Something else happens. It starts to concentrate. Not the rich get richer. That's not always true. Some of the rich do get poor. That's how concentration works. What ends up happening is like this, right? What 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 ends what ends up happening is the people who are the people who have a who have, um, a lot of the economic power. What do they do with that? They use that to get themselves to be richer, and then they pass it off to their children, right? What happens to the people who have less economic power? Unless measures are done, right? Okay. And now, then you t- now zoom in to that particular subset 
of the people with economic power and you find there's, there's a disparity there. So, and then what happens to people who have economic power amongst the people with economic power? What do those, those elite of the elite do then? They repeat the process, right? And then they pass it off to their children. If that process continues over time, unabated by anything else, what ends up happening? You end up with a single family controlling large parts of the world, right? That's what ends up happening. Have you heard of empires being ruled by one single dynasty? That's how that happens. <laughs> now, eventually, is that good for society or not? Long term. Eventually, long term, it's not very good society, right? And usually societies make corrective measures and sometimes that's quite violent. Okay. Okay. So now, is the goal of the most the most powerful cells to reproduce themselves and accumulate all of the resources of the organism to themselves to reproduce their line? No. The goal is that cells reproduce to allow the organism as a whole to perpetuate itself, right? That's the difference between cancerous cells and non-cancerous cells. Cancerous cells, what do they do? They reproduce themselves. And their reproduction is not constrained by anything other than the idea of reproducing that particular cell line. And so what do they do? They try to reproduce everywhere and take as much resource as possible. Result being is that the rest of the organism suffers, kind of like what a dynasty does to a society. So there's nothing wrong with the cancerous cells themselves? Ah, but if those cancerous cells would just reproduce themselves in, in a, in a, in, under the line, under the eye, under, I mean, it's, it's like not describing them consciousness or anything, right? But under, un, 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 with, with the notion that their reproduction is for the perpetuation of the whole organism, right? Or the idea of that wealth being transferred from, 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 and children being born and wealth being transferred is for the stability of society as a whole, right? Doesn't mean you get rid of inheritance entirely, right? But you do things to mitigate the negative effects. Then the reproduction of cells unabated is actually the thing that keeps us alive. The reason why most people die is the cells stop getting, <laughs> they get less and less effective at reproducing themselves. So the, literally the very same thing, which keeps the person alive, also kills the person. And what does it depend on? What makes the cell cancerous is that what it's doing is about itself. And what? what? Oh, that's a biology question. It's an analogy. So when a cell reproduces, and the only thing that is guiding that reproduction of the cell is the perpetuation of that particular cell line, that cell line will eventually, assuming that it's fit enough to do so, will eventually drown out all the other cell lines in the body to the point that, well, not all of them, it'll eventually start drowning out certain cell lines in the body in certain places and cause certain parts of the body not to be able to function, not to have enough resources, say enough oxygen, whatever it is, and the result is the person gets very sick and dies. By the way, what is cancer treatment nowadays? There's no cure, but there's treatment. What is the treatment for cancer? Radiation. To kill the cancerous cells faster than killing the rest of the person. Because just like the cells are fundamentally doing the same thing that keeps the person alive, killing the cancer cells does the same thing that kills the rest of the cells. And so the idea is how do you kill the cancerous cells without killing the other cells? And since we don't really know how to do that that well, the next best thing is to kill the cancerous cells at least faster than killing the rest of the person and hopefully the cancer cells die off and then you can stop killing the person and then they live. That's basically how that's done. In certain cases, you can just take out the whole part of the body where the cancer cells exist and then solve the problem that way. But that's what makes this so dangerous is that it's not a fundamentally different thing. 
What changes is the entire context of it. When a cell is reproducing and what guides its reproduction is the well-being of the organism as a whole, that's a healthy cell. When the cell reproduces and what guides the cell's reproduction is the reproduction of its own specific line, that is a cancerous cell. So it basically comes to, is it about itself or is it not about itself? Can you give an example of a cancer cell, what they would like to do? Like, what is, what's the selfish need of a cancer cell? Just that there should be more of whatever it is, that, that, should, that should, there should be more of that. So can you produce too many no cells and not be cancerous? That's, that's why there's different cancer in different parts of the body. It's literally that. It says too many nose cells. That's what nose well, cancer well, is. Well, no, because it's it's the, the, the I mean there's it's, it's there's a particular there's a particular cell, and I mean you get now into the biology of it, which is not really the appropriate analogy at that point. But there's something that goes wrong in that cell. Now that cell's reproduction is not mitigated by anything other than competition with other cells. And so what ends up happening is if that cell is strong enough, it reproduces more of itself and more of itself and more of itself. I mean, that cell dies, right? It doesn't last longer than anything else. But then those cells repeat the same process. So all they need is one wrong cell. One wrong cell that's quite good at, compete, at, at competing for... Uh, 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 yeah. More space. It's like all you need to start a dynasty is one really successful, powerful person who's able to bequeath that on to a successor with nothing to mitigate that, and you let that iterate over time, and you end up with a dynasty that can rule for a very long time and completely dominate large swaths of the planet Earth. Same idea. That's why the royal family members kill each other. That's right. That's why the Europeans decided this idea that the second oldest son should become a priest. No, so he has a power that can't perpetuate itself. He has an independent power, the power of the church, and, and he can't perpetuate himself. This was the model developed in medieval Europe to avoid brothers fighting civil wars over who gets to inherit the fiefdom. Yeah, that's why all these second sons were all cardinals and bishops. <laughs> anyway, but the idea is that what is the, the yeshus and the bittel? The yeshus and the bittel is what? It's the question is, is this about itself or is it? Not. That's it. Anything that's about itself is called yeshus. Anything that's not about itself is called bittel. Okay? So if yeshus is like the wall, does yeshus allow the light of Hashem through? How about just a little bit? No. No. It's like a black and white thing. If, there, if something is about itself, then the truth of Hashem is being denied. Now let's think about that. The truth is that Hashem is the only thing that's real. The truth is that Hashem is the only thing that's important. The truth is Hashem is the only whatever, right? So the fact that something is about itself is just fundamentally a denial of that truth. The same way an opaque wall blocks light. On the other hand, if Hashem is not present in something in any way, shape, or form, then there's no reality to it, right? So some aspect of it has to have bittel. And the part of it that has the bittel, whatever is bottel, the light of Hashem goes through that. And that light of Hashem is 
It's 100%. But now when I look at the space created by the interplay of the yeshus and the bittel, that's where I get the notion of dimmer light or more brighter light. Again, if I have a really wide window or a really narrow crack, at the space, at each point along, along the window or each point in the crack, the, the, the light comes through just the same. But if you have a very big space and a very little window, the light that made it through now has to distribute over all of that space, right? So the Yeshus has created all of this existence and there's very little bittel to allow Hashem's presence. And so overall, what's felt much more is the existence of the thing and the definition of thing, what that thing is and what it's all about or what it's, rather than having a sense of the truth of Hashem in it. Or you could have converse, you could have something which, um, it, it's only, there's only the, 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 you know, there's, you know, it's like, like some people's living room is basically just, you know, four posts, or th- I guess not a living room. It's like three posts um, and then a bunch of like open glass and the light just comes in and it almost feels like you're outside. So the room is demarcated in some sense, but it, it has this almost outdoor feel because it's open on all these ways. Glass could be... For our purposes, we're going to okay. treat glass... For our purposes, I, we're, like I said, we're going to keep it simple. It's either opaque or the light gets through. We're, just, we're not going to worry about the fact that, physically speaking, it's more complex. Okay? So, the, the central point that he's describing here is the place of bittel in every, every... What does he call it? Every gradation, every plane... Whatever, the, whatever, that, whatever that gradation or plane is, it's defined by its yeshus, just like the space is defined by the wall. But the central point is a reference to the bittel that allows the light of Hashem through. Right, now, why is that called the central point? That's what makes it real. That's right. That's what makes it real. That's the, that's, right? Again, if, if, if Hashem is real, then if you, have, if, 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 if you have no place where Hashem's presence enters, even by a crack, there's no reality to the thing, right? And so if you think of the center, and we often do think of the center as kind of like the core of something, right? So that's the idea. Can you explain a little bit why that, why can't something be real without, I get it, but I don't. Like that crack is the only thing that makes it real? Start off with the premise that the only thing that's real is Hashem. So without even a little so, bit of its presence? Without it's Hashem, yeah. Right. Now, there's nothing like that. Because we all have to in order to exist, you're saying. Yeah. To everything, everything, everything has to have a little bit of bittel in order for it to, right? Every, in other words, if we're going to say that the room having any degree of illumination is what it means to exist as a created thing. So you need two things. You need something to demarcate the space of the room. That's the wall. That's its yeshus. And you also need a window for the light to enter. And that's the bittel. And the thing that makes it real is the bittel. The thing that makes it be this kind of a thing versus that kind of a thing, whether it's a, uh, um, you know, it's, you know, whether something is, say, water versus fire or something is uh, a tree versus a, a gorilla, that doesn't have to do with the degree of bittel. That has to do with the, sh- the shape of the room, right? Different rooms are shaped differently, right? So some rooms are square and some rooms are rectangular, but, like, it's beside the point. 
So all of the characteristics of the created thing have to do with the shape of that yeshus, the shape of that wall. But what makes that thing real is that there's some of Hashem, that Hashem's presence is in some way part of that. And what makes it part of that is that there's some space, there's some aspect of it which is not yeshus, it's just the opposite, it's bittal. And again, if you think about a body, right, you're, you're, the bittal of your body is that your body doesn't just, I mean, your body functions on, on, on each cell taking resources and then functioning based on those resources and doing a particular function and in addition to that, making sure it has replacements before it disappears, right? And yet you're, somehow your cells are, are not just totally driven about their own singular existence. Something mitigates that or constrains that so that all of that is geared towards the functioning of this higher level entity called the organism. Right? And somehow that, when a cancer cell, that's not happening. And so if the cell is strong enough, it just starts to hog and take over and can kill the person. Yeah? Well, if light reveals something and Hashem is true, then the light of Hashem would be truth. Yeah, yeah. The idea that the truth can be shared, can be expressed, right? That's the idea of like this, the sun versus the light. Yeah? Can God create something without his presence in it? Not in any way that would be coherent. In other words, if you want to apply the idea that Hashem has no rules that Hashem has to follow, then the answer to any question is, yes. why are you asking questions? Mm-hmm. Right? In other words, you have to decide. The minute you've asked a question, you've take, made an assumption that there is some kind of rationale that Hashem is operating in accordance with. And given that rationality, is this consistent with it? If, you, if you're going to just say that Hashem doesn't have to be rational about anything ever in any way, shape, or form, then you shouldn't ask any questions. That's right. So how do you know? How do you know when it's the kind of question you can ask versus you Torah? Can't? Because Torah is Hashem saying, "This is how I do it. This is this is how I'm operating. This is my modus operandi." And so, given that's his modus operandi, that's how it works. Language we can somehow understand. Hopefully, not always. Some parts of Torah are very hard to understand. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what's so amazing is. It's also amazing it's so complicated and just that line, everything that is real is Hashem is really cool because with our ego we could go all these different places and just have one simple statement to say to ourselves. It's just so powerful. So I want to teach you a... I don't know if I... Did I tell you the poem? I didn't teach you this poem, did I? I mean, you would remember it if I told you a poem, right? It's not my kind of thing to teach you a poem. Okay. So I'm going to teach you a poem. It was actually made into a song. Um... It's in Hebrew. Um, so I, I, it sounds better in Hebrew, I think. Okay? But I will... So many disclaimers. What? So many disclaimers. We'll like your poem. It's not my poem. I didn't write it. I discovered recently, actually, that I don't dislike poetry. I just dislike poetry in English. I'm not sure why. What do you like it in? Hebrew. So like Kohala? What? Like Kohala. Yeah, I realized that. I don't know. There's something about the way poetry works in Hebrew speaks to me that doesn't in English. Anyway, so the poem goes like this. Um, which means, in my youth, I saw many, many, many things. Free translation, okay. Um, came along my insight. And I placed them on three, meaning I put them, I was able to categorize them as fundamentally there's only really three things. Ani, 
Ata v'ha'olam. Myself, you, meaning Hashem, and the world. Fundamentally, something is either, it's, it's part of me, it's Hashem, you the greater, or it's part of the reality I interact with. Um, I continued to contemplate and I saw that the world is nothing other than a glimmer of your light. And now behold, there remains only two. Ani, myself, vata, and you. Um, I examined the roots of my heart, or the source of my heart. And behold, my life is a piece from your source. And behold, there's nothing other than you. It's a process of so what, if we put that, what is the process of... So the first thing is realizing that the reality of the thing is not the wall of the Aishas. The reality of the thing is the, the fact that the light can get in. The fact that the thing looks like this versus not like that, that has to do with the wall. That has to do with the Aishas. Right? The reality of the person is not the cells reproducing. It's that the reproduction of the cells is not just about the reproduction of the cells. That's what makes the organism persist. And so it's that point of it's not about itself. That's, what, that's the center point of everything. That's the place where Hashem's truth shines into. And there's nothing that exists that doesn't have that in some way, shape, or form. But does that mean everything now has the same degree of truth? No. No. The bittel, right, the open space of the window is just as illuminated regardless of the size of the window. Each spot of that window is just as illuminated as the outside. But once you go inside, the illumination is a function of how much space is encircled by the wall by the aishas <coughs> versus how much, how much light got through because of how big or small the window of bittel is. And now, as we all know, if your eyes get used to a certain level of illumination and you go into a place where there's less illumination, how do you experience it? Darkness. As darkness. Right? So, can now there be different levels of truth? In some sense, yes, and in some sense, no. The light is light. It's either light or it's not light. And the light either gets through because there's bittel or it doesn't get through because there's yeshus. That's it. But once it's gotten through, the way that light is experienced does come in gradations. And if you are used to a higher gradation and you all of a sudden encounter a lower gradation, how do you experience that as? Experience it as darkness. Right? Until you adjust, right? Is that adjusting a good thing? Mm, 
So, so, so the 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 question is a very simple question. If you're in, think about this like this in real life. Yeah, if you're reading and the sun is going down, it's like a physical example. The sun is going down. So, what if the sun is going down and you're reading from the light coming from outside? What happens? It gets dimmer slowly, right? But your eyes, your eyes adjust. And so, what ends up happening now is it. If you don't really pay attention, you end up reading by like the streetlight outside, which is possible. Is that good for your eyes? Why not? You're straining. So should you, right? Should you get used to that? Well, we need some context. Option, question number one is, is it important for you to be reading? Let's assume that it is. Question number two is, do you have the ability to, tur- to turn on other light? If the reading is important and you don't have another option to, for the light, should you adjust to be able to experience that as being illuminated enough to read? But if, the, but if you have the option of turning on other lights, does it make sense to adjust your eyes? No, because you're straining them, right? Does that make sense? Okay. If I have the ability to experience more light in the room by having, opening a bigger window and having more bittal, should I adjust the degree of light that I have? No. No, that, what? No, it's dark. On the other hand, what if, what if there is a point at which I cannot have more bittal? Should I be able to appreciate that I have enough light in order to do what I need to do? Rather than sitting and saying, well, it's not as light as some other people have. Right, you see the context really matters? Okay. So the, just to tie this back, the truth that a Bainani experiences is not the same degree of truth that the, the Tzaddik experiences. Why? Because the Bainani is experiencing, the Bainani has more or less bittal than the Tzaddik. Less. Less. And therefore, because there's less, the truth of Hashem comes into him, Right? in less of a way, and yet it still has to permeate the whole being of the person, which is a certain degree of yeshus to it, and so it's dimmer, if you will, yeah? Okay. Should the Bainini feel that therefore he lacks truth? Why not? Because that's his level of truth. Because, right, because as we're going to see later on in chapter 14, that you may not be able to get any more bittal than that. And so you should be able to appreciate that there's the truth of Hashem does reside. On the other hand, if the person is a tzaddik and all of a sudden, you know, the window of bittal gets smaller and the light goes dimmer, does it make sense for them now adjust? No. no, they shouldn't, right? They should see that as darkness and strive to keep the window open or, or more open, right? So it's not that there's different degrees of truth, but there are different degrees of how that truth is experienced because the experience of the truth has to do with the bittal versus how much space the yeshus has defined that needs to be illuminated. Now, to be fair, everything has some degree of bittal because if it didn't have bittal, it would not exist, right? But the question is, is that bittal permeating your relationship with Hashem, right? I mean, if you had no bittal at all in any way, shape, or form, you, would, you wouldn't be at all. Okay. But we're not talking, we're talking about, is there, is there the bittal that allows the, the, the experiences of the godly soul to penetrate the human experience? That's the kind of bittal we're talking about. That's the bittal of mere existence. And a Bainani has that. 
And a tzaddik has more of that. And because the Bainani has that, the truth of Hashem shines into them. But it, but it, it but it's, it, it, it doesn't, it, 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 it illuminates only as much as this, as the degree of Bittal allows. So in the, in the, in the, in the space, like again, in the, in the space of the Bittal, in the space of the window, the light is shining just as brightly regardless if it's a small window or a big window. But once that light hat moves past that space into the room, how bright it is depends on how big the window is versus how big the room is. And so in the life of the Bainini, it's a very dim sense of the truth. In the life of the Tzaddik, it's a very vibrant, bright sense of the truth. Therefore, the Bainini's truth only penetrates his ability to arouse the love, whereas the Tzaddik, the actual experience of love itself, is filled with this truth. It, it radiates into the person in a much more vivid way in the Tzaddik than it does into the Bainini because there's more Bittal in the Tzaddik. But in the space of the Bittal, where there's Bittal, there's the truth of Hashem. Where there's no Bittal, there's no truth of Hashem. Yeah. So how does a, a Rashi... Rasha. Rasha experience truth or does a Rasha... They don't. Rasha? You have to do tshuva. That's the whole point. Is the Rasha, this truth the Rasha doesn't experience. There, there is a truth to their being, but that truth has not penetrated their psyche. Right? And they still exist, right? We're not, like, everything has some degree of Bittal because it wouldn't exist. But the question is, is that bit allowing the light to penetrate their psyche or not? So, so to experience the truth of Hashem in any way. So for, for all Rasha, 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 then you not experience truth? Well, as we'll learn later on, what happens is we fluctuate between doing tshuva and falling back from it. So we're, 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 we're right? In other words, there are times where you like really genuinely return to Hashem and then you just don't know how to hold on to that and falls into Fine. So is the window like the center point that it's speaking That's about? the window. The window is the center point because th- that's the core of its being. And that's why that center point is called its truth because that's, right, what is a window? It is a place of light. So if the light represents truth, then what is the, what is the window? The window is the place of the light. It's the place of the truth. That center point is the place of the truth. Okay. The attribute of truth is an unbounded inheritance which has no limit upward to the highest degrees, while all lower gradations and degrees are as nothing compared with those that are superior to them. Okay? So the idea is that the, that the truth has, comes in higher and lower degrees, and based on what we've learned, what is that? does it mean that there's more or less truth itself, or that the size of the whole, the size of the bittal, is bigger or smaller? So what happens if you have a smaller hole? Then there's less, less, less truth. Less truth gets into the room. Even though at the place of the hole the truth is the same. Okay. And so, like we said before, if you're, if you're used to a certain level of light and then you encounter a lower level of light, right? you go from a room that has big open windows to a room that's only illuminated by a small crack, it feels dark. Right? And that's what he's describing. Now, with, a, with, with physical, like, what is the brightest a room could be? In the muscle of, of the sun. Complete openness of the... It could, be, yeah, it could be as bright as the noonday, right? It can't be brighter than that. Okay. What's the, what is the maximum amount of truth that could be revealed? Well, if the truth is the truth of Hashem, then the maximum amount would be the totality of... 
Okay, and in that case, how much yeshus would there be? It would have to be none. Right? What? Right. It would be in a right where 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 the where there's no sense of where where there's no sense of anything else existing. Everything is just somehow a sense of Hashem existing, whatever that means. And on the other hand, the lowest levels would be where there's almost no sense of Hashem. Just the mere fact that something exists is the only kind of effect of Hashem's truth being present. That would be like the lowest levels of like the tiniest window. Right. The tiniest, tiniest crack. Okay, and on any particular level, right? If you're used to one level, the level below you would be dark, and the level above you would be what? It would be overwhelmingly bright. Has anyone ever been in a place where there's like fresh snow in the in right when the, a clear day after after snowfall and you walk outside? Your house is not dark. You open the door, you walk outside, and you can't see why. Now, if you wait a while, you can adjust, right? So the same, right? So there's this, the same issue. So if, 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 if you can adjust, so by all means, you should adjust upwards. But if you can't adjust, you should learn to appreciate that you're not actually in darkness. And that's kind of the message here. For the tzaddik to, be su- to suffice with the truth as it's manifest in the bainani would be to suffice with darkness, but for the Bainani, they should experience that as being in the light. And that's because of the difference in the Bittal. Right. So a tzaddik has a kind of Bittal that allows them truth to come more, that allows the, the ratio of kind of truth to yeshus to be different, such that the actual, in their actual experiences of love for Hashem, Hashem's truth is present, that gives their love for Hashem a kind of permanence, a kind of absoluteness. On the other hand, the Bainani, their bitto is only in their, is only in their neshama's ability to perceive Hashem, and so the truth is found in their ability to perceive Hashem when they put their mind to it, which is the idea of the davening that we spoke about. And so the truth is in the consistency of their ability to daven, not the emotional experience that they actually have. And the Russia? The Russia is the person who closed the window. And so the aspect of the person as a Russia is really just a, it, 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 it's a falsehood. I mean, again, the person continues to exist because there's other dimensions of the person, right? The person's body is being still alive and everything else. But in terms of their experiences, their, exper- their, their experiences are one of total falsehood, total non-reality. Because a Russia lives as if Hashem is optional, secondary. That's just false. So there's no reality to the... There's no, it's like a person living in a delusion. So the tzaddik, only, the tzaddik always feels Hashem's truth, but the day Right, but it's how can, and then you question well, well, if it's truth, how does it disappear? And the answer is because the truth is the fact that they can feel it any time they put their mind to it. It's there for them to feel when they put their mind to it. How would their window look though? Like, what would would there be a difference between the containers and the openings? Yes. Yes. There's a different in chapter fourteen. The altar says is certain shamas were created to have that capacity. 
and certain shamas are not created with that capacity. And if your shama isn't created with that capacity, then you don't really have that capacity for the most part. You're just sad. We're not all perfect. And can never be. So. Chapter 14. Because a brush and a bane is a person's free will. That, that, that be, the, the, what you're asking now becomes the question. Chapter 14 now ties everything with the Tzadik Rosh Hashanah. So it's asking you what's up to you, what's not up to you, what can you control, what can't you control, what do you have to focus on, what shouldn't you focus on. All those normative questions are chapter 14, which we're going to learn about after Pesach. So I'm not going to go into that. Yeah. I mean, if there was a complete state of it, there wouldn't be any issues. That's true. So then where would the light go? It would just be all the same. Well, I, I think the issue is, is that people often throw around words without really, like, thinking through what they mean. What would it mean to be in a state of complete bittal? Oh, now, we're, now, now we're talking about we're talking about only things that are we're, only, we're talking about the level of psych of, of psych the, the maximum babitl you could experience you could have in terms of psychologically because that's what we're talking about we're not talking about like later on in chapter 35 the ultimate says ultimately absolute bittal can't exist psychologically okay but that we're going to set that aside what would ultimate bittal look like psychologically um Before Hashem created the world, what was there? Nothing. Nothing? Just there was Hashem. Yeah. Has Hashem diminished in any way by the creation of the world? Has Hashem been enhanced in any way by the creation of the world? So if you were really aware in the fullest sense of Hashem's truth, what would be a corollary of that? That you would have a sense that the only thing that matters is Hashem, nothing else, right? What, what is part of the stuff that was created that doesn't the fact that it's created doesn't enhance or detract from Hashem is you as a person, right? So having an awareness of, of having an awareness of Hashem's truth in the highest level would come along with a sense of your absolute irrelevance. Okay? Now, this is tricky. Okay? People will hear the absolute irrelevance of the person more powerfully than they should. So I'm going to give you an example. What's two plus two? Four. Maybe it's 17. Maybe. I'm serious. Like, how come, did you consider it being 17? Why not? Because it's just not what it is. Because it's not. It's just not. It's just so obviously not. It doesn't even need to be stated that it's not, right? Your sense that two plus two is four is so absolute. There's not even a place in your mind for you to go through the mental energy of saying, and it's not 17, right? It's not 17 is so 
absolute. There's no, not no need to say it. There's no need to think it. There's no need even to be aware of it, right? So what would be in a state, what would be to have a highest state of Bittal? The only thing that is real is Hashem. The only thing that ever was real is Hashem. The only thing that ever will be real is Hashem, right? The only thing that matters is Hashem. Okay, so that are you real? Yes, no, or you don't even occur to your own consciousness to consider. You see what I'm saying? Like, like, if you have to consciously think, and therefore I am, like, then, right? The child who doesn't really understand math, right? I have kids in grade school, right? They're trying to, wait, 15 plus 3, 15 plus 3, is it this? Is it not like, you hear what I'm saying? Like, so this is, this is what's called in Chassidus, Ri'i of Chachma, the vision of Chachma. <coughs> to see the truth of Hashem clearly, that it floods your consciousness, means you don't see yourself. Not you don't try to see yourself. It just, it's, it's, it's implicit. Like there's, there, there's, there's nothing to see. It's like, right? two plus two is four. It's obviously not 17. You don't even mean to say it's not 17. You don't even mean to think it's not 17. So, if someone was in a state of total bittle during davening, what's the only thing they would be aware of? God. Would they even be aware of the fact that they're experiencing God? No. Would they even be aware of what Hashem wants them to do in life? There's a word that... This brings a person to a state of being like dumbstruck. It's like there's no... This comes along with like an inner silence. Like there's nothing, there's nothing inside you, right? You become like you become like like the whole consciousness becomes a wind, a total window. Um, I've never experienced anything like this. You've never experienced anything like this. Um, but you know, someone who really, really works on themselves could, in theory, get to a point in Shmona Esrei. Where, what? Not Shema. Shema is you're still trying to understand that only thing is real is Hashem. And it, right, it's like, you're still, you're still, right? And it, and it moves you and it motivates you and there's an awareness of it. But, but like if you want, like the, the highest you could reach is what's called, is what's called Yira Ilah, the upper fear, which is just to see the truth of Hashem right there in front of you. And, and the consequence of seeing the truth of Hashem is that you don't see yourself. Not because you're not paying attention. So in general, it's Shemona Esrei, and more specifically, it's the idea of the bowing in the Shemona Esrei. Right? It's like the, the idea that in the base of English, the Kohen Gadol would say Hashem's name and all the people just fall down. That was that. that. Within this, you can then make subdivisions of degrees. Okay? But like, that, that, that's, that's a very lofty thing. And... And, 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 and for that, a person needs to, needs to really do a lot. Like, it's not a normal thing to experience. Um, that's where the bittal has literally, the entire consciousness of the person is as open as it could be. That's the maximum state of the neshama being manifest in the human consciousness. And even that, by the way, is not total bittal. But... 
I mean, there is one higher thing, which is total bittel, but no one likes to talk about that. Um, and that's when a person dies, al Kiddush Hashem. Um, not consciously, just like. Um, it's like it, 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 where a person feels like they cannot violate Hashem's will, even though it'll cost them their life. That, that is a, that's a higher state of bittal. But, but that can only happen like literally in a place of self-sacrifice. And um, usually, generally results in the person being dead based on circumstance. So often people say bittel, they're talking about lower levels of bittel, not total bittel. That make sense? Yeah. This is like a little different tangent, but on the, the subject, if, is there any possible, is there any human who can use, let's say, like an external, you talked about this briefly, like psychedelics or something to get to that point? No. So anyone who claims that they can is using Torah falsely. It has nothing to do with if you're feeling that in that realm then you're not feeling it. You're not anything. You're just There is something called the power of imagination. Um and there's discussed uh, it's discussed in books that what the power of imagination can do when it's freed from its moors and it's generally not understood to be a positive thing. Um and from my understanding that's essentially what psychedelics do. Whether psychedelics have any useful effect in um mental health contexts. Um, but nothing spiritual? Yeah. That's, Would you say free from its what? Normally, your imagination is constrained by some degree of reason. Um, the reason is often wrong. I'll give you a very... Like, like, one of the reasons why psychedelics supposedly works... Um, I'm not enough an expert to say, but on, 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 that it works on, with the right proper, because it, it has a lot to do with the setting of it. You, but let's say a person's suffering from like a severe anxiety disorder or, or a negative compulsive habit or something like that. So let's say that the psychedelics work. From what I understand, the theory behind its working is, is that it frees the person up of the, basically the preconceived notions that get them stuck. Those, the, the, the grounding of those preconceived notions is the basic rational sense of consistency. Like, the way things are is presumably the way things are going to be. That's what allows us to function as people. But it also means that if we're, if we're wrong about something, and that goes on, we, we ascribe to it a level of rigidity that doesn't, right? And so that's how we end up building all sorts of, like, bad mental habits, right? So, like, negative self-talk, or stereotyping yourself into, I'm this kind of a person, right? Or something which was a good coping technique in one circumstance becomes the way to deal with, tr- with problems, even though it's no longer effective. And the idea is that if you can remove the, the ego slash reason that allows us to function in the world and turn that off, then your imagination can kind of like free associate through the experiences. Then with the right kind of guidance, you can kind of put something back together which is more functional and healthy. I'm not like the, that's the research being done, from my understanding. I mean, whether it's right or wrong, I'm not. I'm not an expert to know. It sounds plausible to me. Um, there's nothing to do with with Hashem any more than like you Why know. Why not? Because it could free up constraints. Because not that's because because, because 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 the issue is because the issue is that's not the thing that's preventing you from sensing Hashem. So what is it then? 
The thing that's preventing you from sensing Hashem is basic humanity. That's dealing with his dysfunctional humanity. So you have to dissociate from your humanness completely? But to... now the question is, how do you do that? <laughs> but what, so my question is, why not do something that can... Because that doesn't do that. Because all that does is turn... Because, you know, if I say... I say the problem is... The, 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 if I say, the, you know, the problem with a certain circumstance, the problem with a certain issue is... Ah, I'll use a very simple answer, yeah? The problem is that um, the food being served in this restaurant isn't kosher. And you say, okay, well, what if we just don't order the pork? Does that solve the problem? I won't order that. I'll go to the restaurant. I won't eat the pork. Is the pork the problem? If it's not a kosher restaurant, then why can't you eat there? Once there's a kitchen and they have non-kosher ingredients and everything's not kosher, right? So you have to go and kosher the whole thing, right? Finding the most, finding something which obviously is emblematic of the problem and getting rid of that doesn't deal with the problem. Human beings are supposed to be able to use their reason to grow and to adjust. However, sometimes things can go wrong and things can be stuck and it could be that psychedelics may be helpful in dealing with that kinds of things. I'm not, I'm not saying yes, I'm saying no, but it's possible. But the thing that, the thing that prevents the person, the, the, thing, that, the thing that obstructs the, 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 the godly soul is, 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 is the human entity itself. Human beings are creatures which are driven to care about themselves. Right? That's what we are. How can anyone experience that in a body? Well, here you have the opposite thing. So, in terms, right, the rigidity of reason and, and ego and all that, that creates a problem for sometimes for, for adjusting basically to, to, to the complexities of life and things like that, yeah? There's something very interesting about reason. Um, if a person is being rational completely about something, can they accept the conclusion that they wish were not true? Mm -hmm. If they're being emotional, can they accept the conclusion they wish were not true? No, probably not. So which part of the human psyche could be receptive to the truth that the godly soul is trying to convey to us? Emotional? Well, do you emotionally want to hear that in the grand scheme of things, the only thing that matters is God. Your reason, but in the past we said that emotions more open to some degree. No, I was describing how reason is itself limited, mm -hmm. right? But and then I also mentioned parenthetically, if the reason comes to realize its own limitations, it will embrace its limitations a hundred percent in a way that the emotions can't. The emotions, are, the emotions are like have it's, it's it's the emotions have the problem of everything, which is that. It has a good quality, but its quality is inherently limited. Emotions recognize, or human emotions recognize, the, the need for something beyond emotion. But they only recognize it in the perspective of how the emotions need it. Emotions will recognize the need for intellect to help process the emotions so that my emotional experience is more pleasant. Emotions recognize the need for action to give expression to emotions to provide emotional fulfillment. So they recognize the value of things beyond emotion, very intuitively, but only because of how it feeds back onto 
emotion. Whereas intellect, intellect thinks it's the end all and be all of everything, but intellect also has the capacity to recognize its limitations. Its limitations. And when it recognizes limitations, it can recognize its utter invo- unimportance in the grand scheme of things too. Anyway, so intellect is the place where that comes in. So it's actually, in a certain... Like, this gets in the issues that not everything is the same. Not everything is the same, right? Dealing with... Dealing with, dealing with a person... Let me give you an example. If a person has, a, has an autoimmune disease and cancer, um, you're going to have a problem. Why? Well, so an autoimmune disease... Right means that the immune system is not working properly, makes the person very susceptible to infections, right? And what's the basic treatment that we use for cancer? Is to weaken the overall organism, hopefully killing off the cancer first, right? Mm-hmm. The more you weaken the person, what happens to the immune system? And therefore, the more susceptible they are for... I mean, not our cancer, for infections. Simple infections can kill a person if the immune system... Right? The simplest infection can kill a person if the immune system is not, not up to task, right? That's the whole issue with AIDS, right? So, like, the thing that helps for one thing can actually make another thing worse, okay? The, the, the part of a person that allows them to engage in the, in the truth of something beyond themselves... Um, really, is the part of, is, is 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 the is the intellect. When the intellect gets something wrong, though, it's really bad because it can get stuck. Right? When a person really becomes deep down convinced that the proper way to deal with something is X, it's very hard to change that. Right? And that can create all sorts of maladies and maybe psychedelics can free a person of that. But that doesn't get you to a higher plane of reality. And people can feel that way because people associate the absence of something um, that is negative as all of a sudden encountering God. But it's not the same thing. Being encountering God, yeah. I'm saying. 